0: If you could see the air as your breath, if you could see a tree as your lungs, if you could see the earth recycling as your body, if you could see the infinite space as your source, if you could see the rivers and waters of our planet as your circulation, which is all 100% true, you would have a shift in how you experience yourself and the world. And if enough of people did that, you would have a different world.
1: Welcome to Commune, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that bring us together and help us live healthy and purpose-filled lives. I'm your host, Jeff Krasno. Today, we explore the simple concept of what is real, every day i look at my body and i'm absolutely convinced that it's real but which body is real is it the photo of me as a baby or as me as the strapping young teenager or is the real me that sleep deprived young dad or is it the more distinguished version of my current self the answer may be none of them the great saint in india muktananda was asked what is real master what is real he replied That which is real never changes. Our body is constantly changing. So is a tree, a cat, a car, a pair of pants. Every material object has a shelf life and is constantly shifting, and according to Muktananda, is not real. It may be that the source of everything material is immaterial, it is nothing. It is in this infinite, formless, timeless, spaceless, locationless place that you will find consciousness, God, the soul, whatever you want to call it. Deepak Chopra has dedicated his life to the scientific and spiritual exploration of the nature of reality. He's the author of more than 85 books translated into over 43 languages, including numerous New York Times bestsellers. He's the co-founder of the Chopra Center for Wellbeing, the founder of the Chopra Foundation, and a world-renowned pioneer in integrative medicine and personal transformation. In today's episode, I talk with Deepak about the nature of reality and how we can find a path to unlocking what is truly real in life, how we can access what is infinite within us. Just another day on the Commune Podcast. We'll dive in and try to unpack the the nature of reality in 20 minutes. Okay. Um, It'll be an interesting challenge. I always just start with asking uh, who you are and and what do you do?
0: I actually still don't know who I am. I think I'm a dimensionless being in um, non-local reality, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a unique answer. So I'm going to start with an assertion, and you, um, you're welcome to, uh, to discredit it. As we kind of unpack the nature of reality and understanding how that can impact our lives and make us lighter, happier, I have landed on the idea that there are two basic realities. There is this sort of reality of material form that is perceivable and exists In time and space, it's this beautiful persimmon tree that I'm looking out my window at right now. And there is the existence of the formless, which is infinite, without location, and outside of time and space. Mm -hmm. Is that fair?
0: Yes, that's true. I think here's where people have a lot of confusion. When they use the word I, they refer to their body-mind. And so just in that um, identification with the body-mind, you create a separation between yourself and the everyday perceptual world that we call the physical world. But your physical body along with its mind, is also an activity of the universe. So this artificial subject-object split that we have, uh, which is the basis of all science, by the way, I mean the science, even relativity and Einstein's theories, the observer is always inside the body-mind. So the body-mind is traveling at the speed of light, or body-mind gets to the event horizon. So the perspective is me and then everything else. And me refers to the body-mind, but the body-mind goes along with the activity that we call the universe. The real observer is the observer of the body-mind and the universe that are a unified experience the universe and that which we call a body mind are a unified experience and so the universe you and i experiencing the one that you just described looking out of the window that's a human universe if you look at another sentient being another organism let's take an extreme example something like uh, a butterfly called the painted lady okay so this butterfly she um tastes food through her feet. She smells through her antenna. Her wings are her hearing apparatus, and she has 30,000 lenses in her eyes that move like a kaleidoscope, uh, giving it presumably an experience of shifting, shimmering shapes and forms. So that butterfly and her universe go together a bat only experiences the echo of ultrasound. And so what is the universe like to a bat or a dolphin? We are very um, human-centric, being humans. We think that the universe that we see is um, the real universe, but there's no such thing. It goes along with the species. So what you're experiencing is a human universe, and furthermore, you've labeled it. So, you know, you're looking out maybe at a mountain. But if you were a baby, then that wouldn't be a mountain. That would be a shape and a color and a form. And that would be a perceptual activity, and your own body mind would be part of that. So, you know, you would be kind of bathed in a riotous uh, collection of sounds and colors and shapes and forms. And tastes and smells, you wouldn't know that you, Jeff, as a baby, are uh, separate from the universe. It would all be one phenomenon. But then somebody comes along, and your parents, and you know, you then enter the interpreted world. You're Jeff Krasnow. This is your name. You're American. You're male. And you have such and such religion. That's a human construct, And so we are born into a universe that is already labeled, described, and uh, it becomes our perceptual reality that we call the physical universe, including our own body, because our body is also a changing intermittent experience of uh, sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. So there is everyday reality, which is uh, you, fundamental being, timeless, shapeless, formless, modifying itself as sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, sense, perceptions that we now call the physical world. Now, this is all good, but, you know, the subject-object split has also created climate change and, you know, um, social and economic injustice, uh, eco-destruction, extinction of species, and uh, right now you know war terrorism this is all based on misperception of fundamental reality so it's very well to call the physical world physical even though it isn't it's a perceptual experience that is shifting and changing as the body mind also shifts and changes and evolves the advantage of knowing this is of course that if once you deconstruct reality into basic raw material which is sense perceptions and then their mental interpretations once you deconstruct it then you realize that fundamental reality is infinite it has all possibilities it's creative it's non-local it's evolving and there's no reason for you and i to think that we finished evolution you know evolution doesn't stop started with a microbe, and now here we are, human beings. But human beings will evolve, I think, to meta humans and explore different dimensions of space-time and what we call physical reality. It's already part of our myth and Marvel comics and all of that, but, you know, subtle experience, transpersonal experience, always precedes uh, what we call perceptual experience, which we label as... Uh, physical reality.
1: Right, so my question would be then, is there a true objective reality beyond our perception of a subjective one?
0: No, science is based on that uh, premise, that there is an objective reality which is independent of our subjective reality. Now, and it's a useful construct that there is an objective reality. Because once you assume that there's an objective reality, then uh, we can, you know, reify it, give it names. Once we make it concrete, then we can study it and we create technology. And we're doing that right now. We're speaking to each other and people are listening to us wherever they are. So science is based on that premise of an objective reality. But in the philosophy of science, there's something called proper falsifiability. Something has to be verified or falsified by experiment. And if you think about it, if you are saying there's an objective reality independent of our uh, human consciousness, then it's not available to us. you know. It's, it's a good assumption, but it's not available to us. So there, it's neither falsifiable, nor can we validate an observer-independent reality. We can't do that. But it's a useful construct for doing science, creating technology. But if you really want to know the real nature of existence, then it's very obvious that what we experience is a narrow bandwidth of reality the human bandwidth you know you're the human visual experiences between a certain bandwidth but that's true of all our sensory experiences and so reality is infinite we experience a narrow bandwidth of it unless we transcend our senses through meditation and other practices yogic practices. And then we see that we have a wide range of experience available to us, and we can navigate these subtle realms of existence, revise our concepts of reality. And strangely enough, when we do that, when you revise the subtle aspects of experience and reinterpret them, then that which we experience as everyday physical reality begins to shift and change. And people do that without uh, knowing what they're doing. You know, they, they lose 40 pounds or they, they change the appearance of their body or they lower their blood pressure. Yogic techniques like pratyahara, etc., withdrawal of the senses and then navigating in the subtle realms of experience ultimately changes even the human nervous system and its so-called physical attributes so you start to have experiences that people have uh, spoken about through the ages precognition uh, you know non-local communication synchronicity etc etc because you feel a deep sense of connection to the fundamental reality which is infinite and which is your core being (laughs)
1: Spend the overwhelming majority of our lives in this material reality, but it's not always serving us. And there's been poets and, and prophets, you know, throughout history that have had glimpses of what lies on the other side in this spaceless, timeless, infinite place or non-place. You quote the Indian poet Rabindranath Tagore. In this playhouse of infinite forms, I have had my play, and here I have caught sight of him who is formless. Yes. So, how is it possible for us, in this world that we live in, in our temporal form, to access what we might call the infinite soul, or God, or however you want to call it, can we do that?
0: Yes, we can. I mean, that's the fundamental premise of what today is called yoga, but most people are only focusing on the yoga asanas, which is actually also uh, a great introduction because the word asana, the yogic practice, it means seat of awareness. So, you know, even the physical yoga that you do every day, you begin to realize that awareness is not just uh, in the brain. It's everywhere in the body. And you can localize your awareness to any part of your body. But then you can also localize your awareness to any location in space-time by thinking about it, by giving attention to it, and by even uh, transforming it through intention. So if you look at the basic yogic literature and where it comes from, in the yogic traditions they speak about the five causes of human suffering one number one cause is you don't know your true nature number one number two grasping and clinging that which you can't hold on to because no experience can be held on to for example you know the experience you had this morning on waking up it's gone it's now part of a dream and in fact by the time you listen to my voice it's also gone You're only experiencing the past, always. Uh, Some past is in the scale of microseconds, and some, if you look at the stars, that uh, is on the scale of millions of light years, but it's still the past. The only thing that's present is being, or you, as consciousness, and that present is not in time because it's not a moment in time, it's not in time altogether, we call it presence. You are present in every experience. The experience comes and goes in the twinkling of an eye, it's born and it dies. The only thing it gives continuity is you, actually. It's like watching a movie. So, you know, the Vedanta, they, these traditions say, number one, is you don't know who you are, number two... You grasp and cling at that which is ungraspable. Number three, that causes uh, fear of impermanence. It also creates a false identity called the ego, and then there's the fear of death. So you cannot solve these. They are called kleshas, the causes of human suffering, unless you actually start to question who am I? What do I want? What's my purpose? What am I grateful for? That's a good way to start. But, you know, yoga, as you know, the word yoga means union, and uh, is, the Sanskrit word is yuj. In English, the word is yoke. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because I'm connected to, in the metaphor of Christianity, the Father. You know, the Father and I are one. You and I are one. I and the world are one. That's a metaphor. And in in Christian theology also there's the expression to be in the world and not of it. So I think you can actually participate in the world with great success if you're actually connected to your creative source. And that creative source can help you do anything because it's totally malleable. Consciousness is... Infinite possibilities, infinite creativity, moving always in the direction of evolution, truth, goodness, beauty, harmony, and uh, ultimately giving you the ability to revise what we call everyday reality. You know, people say, uh, people from traditional religions or even, you know, spiritual traditions, they use expressions like uh, God is on my side or I seem to be in a state of grace. Or if they're not religious, they're secular, they say I was lucky or happened to be in the right place at the right time. I experienced synchronicity. These are all words that uh, people who have a sense of connection to their source uh, use But synchronicity, meaningful coincidence, good luck, state of grace, all these things mean the same thing. So it is important to see that your everyday reality, including that which we call your physical body, is a projection of consciousness, and you are that. Now, this is very difficult for a lot of people to to grasp because they identify with their body mind and when you say you identify with your body mind which one you were a zygote then you were a baby and a toddler a teenager there's no such thing as a fixed physical body and there's no such thing as a fixed physical mind is there's, there's no such thing as a fixed universe it's all happening uh, in as a plain consciousness so Once you get that, then you realize that what we call everyday reality is subject to revision. Mm -hmm. And this is what the great masters, the great mystics, the great yogis, saints, sages, psychotics, geniuses have all glimpsed this reality.
1: So the kind of everyday reality that you refer to, would you say that that's the home for the ego? Yes. Yes we're defining ourselves by what we do and what we have and...
0: Correct. So ego is another human construct, just like, you know, the whole universe is a human construct, the way we describe it is a human construct. We are interpreting perceptual experience as physical reality. Now, of course, you know, in science, by the way, and it's particularly the philosophy of science, there are many schools. So, you know, there's the school of dualism, there's the school of, you know, just everything is just physical. The problem with all the schools is if mind and body are two different things, and mind, body, and spirit are three different things, how do they interact with each other? If I lift my arm, that starts with a thought. A thought is non-material. Lifting the arm is a very concrete physical experience. You know, you have electrical impulses traveling through nerves, you have muscle contraction, but then if the mind, body, spirit are different things, you can't even lift your arm. I mean, it all has to be one thing, whatever that one entity is. So, you know, the the, the controversies in science today... Uh, it's all physical, but then you ask the physicalists what, what is physical? And they'll tell you, we're still trying to figure it out. Molecules are made of atoms, atoms are made of particles, and particles are waves of probability in mathematical space. There's no such thing as matter. And you say, okay, then there's the dualistic schools who say, mind and body are two different things, and the universe is separate. And then they say, well, then how do they interact with each other? And it violates all the laws of thermodynamics, so that's out. The only thing that's left is consciousness is the only reality, and it modulates itself as species-specific experiences. So uh, we are having a human experience, but we go beyond that. We know how to label our experiences. We know how to describe them. We know how to reify them. We know how to create constructs, so we end up creating our experience of the human universe, but at a cost because subject-object split is artificial. That's why another thing that spiritual traditions say, love is the ultimate truth because love is not just a sentiment. It's the glue that um, holds everything together. Just like uh, physicists these days talk about quantum entanglement, we can see that our perceptions, our sensations, the images in our mind and our thoughts are all entangled. You change one, you change the other. If you and I are going to a cocktail party, then I tell you, Jeff, that guy over there in that corner, he's a mafia hitman. And then somebody else joins the party, and I tell them that same person I point out and says is a Nobel laureate in uh, poetry or medicine. The two of you will have completely different perspectives. Or perceptions of that person. So our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings, the images in our mind, and our perceptual experiences are all entangled because they are modifications of our own consciousness.
1: So I've heard you break down the makeup of material objects from mass and energy into smaller and smaller particles until they're is really just this quantum vacuum, a place from which all energy comes and is formless and spaceless and and infinite. And I wonder if that is where also the soul lives. Do you equate those things? Or do do you see those things as part of the same thought pattern?
0: Yes. So, you know, if you talk to physicists, then the word soul or consciousness uh, leads you nowhere because, you know, (laughs) physicists won't go there at all. But the space around you, wherever you are, is brimming with energy. And the fundamental particles of nature, which uh, ultimately lead to atoms and molecules and the physical world, are actually... Uh, modifications of that space itself now why that's so nobody can answer that question because uh, it's called the hard problem of consciousness because it's called the hard problem of consciousness because people are assuming that uh, the brain is creating this experience but the brain is part of perceptual reality and so if the brain is creating this experience then how Nobody can explain that. Nobody can explain how an electrical current going into your brain produces sound and the experience of color or form or taste or smell. The brain has no sound. There's no color in the in the brain, and there's no color in the physical world either. It's all, uh, it's all wavelengths of electromagnetic energy. So when people speak of quantum vacuum, they're speaking about... Um, the vacuum as a basic physical entity as a potential for physical form so this is not where spirituality goes if you know the spirituality goes a little further it says so who or what is having this experience or who or what is coming up with this construct So in the Vedanta, which is the basis of everything I teach, which is, you know, consciousness is fundamental and everything else is a construct, there's another reality beyond the quantum vacuum. It's called Chit Akash. So Akash is the word for infinite space, and Chit is the literal meaning of the word Chit is consciousness. So Chit Akash is the infinite space of consciousness, Prior to space-time and even prior to the quantum vacuum. It is that which is organizing the quantum vacuum into space-time and matter, which includes our own body-mind as well. So, chitta-akash is, as I said, even more fundamental than the quantum vacuum. And what we call the soul or our core being is part of that. Just like you know, a drop of water is part of the ocean. So again, going back to Rumi, his uh, interesting insights when he talks about these matters, he says, "We come spinning out of space, scattering stars like dust." Or elsewhere, he says, "This is not the real reality. The real reality is behind the curtain. In truth, we are not here. This is our shadow. So, you know, and by the way, in the West, that is what Plato said. So it's not very different. Plato spoke about archetypal forms that exist in subtle space that give rise to the experience of the physical world. And so these archetypal forms uh, are the potentialities for manifestation, and our soul is part of that.
1: Hmm. So I'll end with this question, because you referred to it earlier in the face of the enormity of the world's problems, that our human condition right now is riddled with authoritarian regimes and, and climate crisis, terrorism, social injustice, all of the things that I think we are aware that we're, we're suffering from on a socio-political and, and human level. As it pertains to understanding the nature of reality, do you think that it is necessary for mankind to refine a certain kind of awareness and consciousness to address the world's problems?
0: Yes, and there is no... um solution other than a shift in our consciousness if you could see the air as your breath if you could see a tree as your lungs, if you could see the earth recycling as your body if you could see the infinite space as your source, if you could see the rivers and waters of our planet as your circulation which is all 100% you know, true you would have a shift um, in how you experience yourself and the world. And if enough of people did that, you would have a different world. I mean, this morning I met a guy... Who's um, reversing climate change by making everything recyclable? Because he says, "Nature, everything is recyclable, everything. The technologies are there to uh, create enormous wealth in the world, because you know the wealth is a state of consciousness. We created money. There's no such thing as money. It's a human construct. You know, a long time ago, I'll give you a haircut, and you can repair my shoes. Or, you know, I'll give you some eggs and you can give me uh, whatever else. So it was all barter and then we created money as an instrument and then we created Wall Street and then we created colonialism and empires and all of that. These are human constructs based on stories that we tell ourselves about what is reality. Change the story, the world changes. You know, the only reality is consciousness having an experience. Everything else is a story. Even the body is a story because there's no such thing as a fixed body. There's no such thing as a fixed mind. And there's no such thing as a fixed universe. Mm -hmm.
1: Deepak Chopra, thank you for helping to lead that shift and for all that you've done throughout your life that's dedicated to raising consciousness. We owe you a great debt. Thank you. Deepak's mind-bending, spirit-uplifting new six-day course, The Nature of Reality, at onecommune.com. Thanks for listening to The Commune Podcast. Until the next time, keep it real.